What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, I don't know if you're listening on audio or if you're tuning in on YouTube, but if you're on YouTube, you're checking out some of my new stuff here. Got a new microphone, new headphones. I even have a legit podcasting mixing board over here. I am super excited. Uh, my buddy, Sean Shapiro, he's the voice of the Toronto Police Service, uh, their their TikTok channel, YouTube channel, all that stuff. Just a good dude. Him and I connected on social media, and he was the one that dialed me in on what gear was going to make the podcast sound even better. And Jamie and I chewed on it for a little bit, and we thought, hey, we've been doing this a year now, and let's let's make the sound even better. So super pumped to be on this equipment for the first time. I'm also excited about today's guest. Today's guest is Mary Taylor. Mary and I were co-workers, were partners in detectives back when I was a detective. Boy, it's been over 10 years ago, folks, that her and I were partners. Uh, She was a great police officer, great detective, moved on to, uh, to being a mom. She uh, she talks about in the podcast of being just a mom, air quotes intended, and another mom telling her, hey, you're not just a mom. Being a mom is remarkable, and I would echo that. Jamie was an amazing, is an amazing mom, but when she was a stay-at-home mom, she managed so much stuff for our family, and so Mary transitioned into that, and then somewhere in there, she decided to start a magazine, Taylor Living Tailored Living Magazine, a little play on her last name. And if you haven't checked out Tailored Living Magazine, you got to get on their website, uh, Google search it. Uh, Their print magazine is just phenomenal. Uh, Just really great work that she does there. And she's just an absolute creative. And we got into a lot of great things about life, about leadership, about failing and being okay with that. Uh, So we're going to get into that here in just a second. But before we do that, I wanted to spotlight two different nonprofits, folks. You've heard me talk about Service Peace Warriors a bunch of times. Uh, Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to our nation's veterans. Uh, They're raising all the money. They're equipping veterans that are suffering from either post-traumatic stress disorder or other war-related injuries. They're equipping them with service animals, and they're taking care of all the costs. So if you haven't checked them out, check out Service Peace Warriors dot o-r-g i also wanted to spotlight 484hero.com 484 was founded by a friend of mine sierra and sierra's husband was murdered in the line of duty as a police officer and sierra and daniel uh, and jamie and i were friends in everett uh, when i was a police officer over on the west side of the state and when he was still in the navy and then he went on to become a police officer for Pierce County Sheriff's Office and just a great family. And the stuff that that Sierra has been doing and aims to continue to do through 484 Hero is remarkable work. Check out their website, 484hero.com. Learn about it today. With that, folks, let's get into my interview with Mary Taylor. Mary Taylor, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this has actually been something I've been thinking about for a while. When I was kicking off the whole idea of gravity, I remember you were gracious enough to connect with me on the phone just to talk about branding and some other stuff. So 
I appreciate you and just watching what you're doing with your business. And I want to get into that here in a second. But first, if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, my name is Mary Taylor. I am, I used to be a police officer with the Kennewick Police Department and I became a stay-at-home mom. And then I kind of evolved uh, into owning my own lifestyle publication for the Tri-Cities and the surrounding areas. And then that involved into a uh, women-focused co-working space. So who I am is constantly changing and growing. And I love the name of your magazine, Tailored Living Magazine. How did you arrive at that? Like, what was the what was the inspiration that led you to starting? I mean, it's 2020, or at the time it was 2017. Am I correct? Yes. It's 2017, and there's a lot of content creators that are moving away from a print a publication, and you're moving to one. So what was what was the inspiration in that? Well, the name Tailored... Actually, it's a little kitschy. It comes from my last name, which is Mary Taylor. But it also goes with the fact that the lifestyle publication is really tailored towards my readers and what's relevant to them. Uh, Just general lifestyle publications can encompass such a broad variety of topics. And it's really important for me that the publication is inclusive and that we involve as many people within the community as possible. So we do really try to tailor the content to what our readers want to see. Yeah. And what is that demographic? What do you, do you know what kind of your target demographic is the folks that are, that are picking up the magazine? Me, (laughs) you know, between 35 to 55, 60 year olds, um, women who are, uh, ambitious, passionate. They have multiple interests um, and and that align with my values. So, you know, empathy, um, connect, connection, community, uh, things like that. So that's my demographic. Yeah, everything you do is just, I mean, and I know it's hard sometimes to hear this, but you just knock stuff out of the park. The quality of your magazine is is, is, is nothing but the best. I mean, I mean, high quality photos, high quality editing, it just looks good. And, and I'm speaking about this as a guy, right? But I mean, as a guy, when I open up tailored living magazine, I mean, it, it's inviting, it draws you in. If I remember correctly, a lot of times you'll, you'll spotlight uh, a person or a family. Uh, there's just a, there, there's community events sometimes in there. There's just a lot of stuff that draws in the reader. What, what does it look like? What does your team look like at tailored living magazine? Well, up until the last issue, uh, I was the editor. Um, and throughout the process, I had my hands in a little bit of everything. When I first started the publication, I had no clue what I was doing. I had, I, <laughs> I didn't you know. Were a good how, job of pretending then. Cause it I, I like didn't it know how much a piece of paper cost. I didn't know how much it would cost to circulate and distribute it. I, I had no clue. All I knew was that I needed, uh, I needed the magazine personally. Um, the magazine becoming what it is today was a complete accident. Uh, because originally I started the magazine to try and learn new skills so that I could be marketable in the workforce and that somebody would hire me 
because prior to the magazine, the only experience I had was law enforcement and I wasn't in law enforcement anymore. Um, and so I needed to kind of just reinvent myself. I needed to establish new human capital. And I am not an academic person. I've never done well in a school setting. And so I just decided, why not teach myself and kind of learn as I go? And I did that because when I left law enforcement, and I know I'm going on a segue, I guess we're going to do this a couple of times throughout this interview. But when I left law enforcement, I lost my community. I lost, I lost everybody that I would go and see every day and have coffee with and would come over to the house. And um, I had my, at the time, nine-month-old baby boy and my uh, Jeremy, my husband. And that was it. And he's law enforcement. So he would go and do work and he would, he would maintain all the friendships and the connections that I used to have. And then he would come home and that's what I had. I had no family here or anything like that. And at the time there was no publication or outlet or resource for me to look at and feel like either a, I was seen or two, I belonged to something like bigger than myself, which was something that I needed I need that purpose. And so I just decided, all right, I'm going to bring people together and I'm going to create this magazine and, and I'm going to learn things as I go. And then it'll get to the point where I can use this to get a job somewhere else. And lo and behold, this became my job. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Hey, if you don't mind, let's, let's jump on that segue. Let, let's, let's take that path back to law enforcement. What brought you to Tri-Cities, Washington, to Kennewick to become a police officer? Yeah, I had been testing for law enforcement for about a year. It's a long process. You've got to go through the physical. You've got to go through oral boards, um, chief's interviews. It took me about a year of testing with different police departments. And at the time, my brother was a Benton County deputy. And he told me that Kennewick was hiring and they're a great city to work for. And so I applied and it was very, it was a, it was meant to be, it was one of those things that just was meant to be. And so I went through the entire process. I was hired and I moved to Kennewick in 2006 and I've never looked back. I'm, I absolutely love the Tri-Cities and I love the people here and I love the police department. My husband still works for the Kennewick Police Department. So that's how I got here. I didn't prep you for this. Uh, any any favorite memories of of that that season of life? I like that word seasons, just because it it kind of prepares us to recognize that there's natural beginnings and endings to different parts of our life, and and you you lived that as a police officer and then moved into being successful in this magazine. Uh, but but for the policing thing, were there some of those favorite memories that you had of of being a cop? Uh, I have some memories that stand out the most. They aren't necessarily great memories. They aren't necessarily uh, like I have some favorable memories, but um, going to police academy in Des Moines um, and growing up, I became a police officer at 23. Um, and I want to say I bought my house, my very first house at 25 because of, the career that I had, the stability, the security, uh, and I was able to do that. So I think that 
in all, uh, just the growing up process, those were my favorite memories. The moments where I matured and I saw, okay, I'm not the same Mary that I was before I came here because of this, because of this. So it's a general answer to your question. <laughs> oh, it's a good general answer. Uh, it's, you know, law enforcement, it, it causes you to grow up, right? I mean, you're getting exposed to loss and trauma and true conflict at a rate that, that most humans don't experience unless they're living in that, right? I mean, I grew up in a bubble. Uh, I was, my parents were married, uh, are married. They've been married for 50 years. Uh, my, I'm the youngest of eight. You know, they were college professors. I never saw the hardship and the bad stuff. I, it wasn't put in front of my face. And so because I didn't see it, it didn't really register in my mind that it was real. I mean, yes, you hear about it, but you don't really, really get it until you're dealing with it. And yeah. so, you know, there, there were a lot of times where I just couldn't connect with members of my family because they had never seen it. And so um, that was why the law enforcement community was so important and special to me because it was I was able to connect with people that actually understood what it was that I was talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. What did that contrast do for you? Again, your parents modeled from what you just described a stable home, healthy relationship, right? And then you're, you're 23 and now you're working as a police officer where you're going into people's homes and you're probably, you're probably having to engage folks that are your parents age or older and try to help them fix their conflict for the night. Did, what did the contrast do for you? I feel like so much of life is about perspective. And now you had these two start, you know, these two just drastically different perspectives from healthy uh, home and marriage that your parents modeled versus what you're seeing as a police officer? I think it lit a fire in my belly to become the best problem solver that I had ever been, to find creative ways and creative solutions to fix things that no one can prepare you for. You show up and you have all of these variables. You have no clue what you're going to be handed. And then in that moment, you need to figure out a way to put a Band-Aid on it and fix it. And I thrived in that environment. I thrive in life experiences and in um, uh, life settings. I did not thrive in an academic environment where I was sitting in a class and it was very analytical um, and Law enforcement gave me that outlet. It gave me the ability to uh, pour into the things that I was really good at. And so uh, it was a good fit for me. Yeah. And you it, were it a problem solver. Me. Yeah. It completed me. It made me feel like I had purpose. And in turn, that is what I, at the time, established my human capital as. I became a law enforcement officer. That's who I was. And it, it, it took many, many years to get to the point now where I realize that I'm, I am not what I do. I am what my values are. And that in itself is probably another story for another day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's powerful, right? Because again, if we look at life in, in, the, in the terms of seasons, here's the deal. No one's going to do their, unless they die doing the job, you're not going to do your thing. For the rest of your life, you're going to do it for a bit. 
and maybe for a long bit. There's folks that uh, have served in, in one profession or one industry for, for decades. But the reality is, is, is when you identify with those core values, that's stuff that can carry you from one season to the next. Yeah. It was interesting when I left. So I, I was a detective at the time. I, uh, I kind of specialized in the area of people crimes, <laughs> crimes against people. And uh, I became really efficient and really good. And I'm super proud of it. And I say it to this day that um, I did a really good job of investigating crimes against children. And here I was. And in fact, I remember an instance with you when I was pregnant. I was seven months pregnant with my belly. And we were trying to arrest somebody. And I ended up getting like kicked in the belly. Cohen ended up getting, I gave birth to Cohen a little prematurely probably because of the stress, but you guys, you guys up in the office were, were joking around that my water was going to break while I was sitting at the desk because I mean, I was just, I was at where I was supposed to be, but I, when I left law enforcement, um, I lost that capital that I had and I became just a mom Mm. Um, because it was funny. So I was dealing with crimes against children while I hired a nanny to take care of my nine month old. And it got to a point where my nine month old had a medical checkup and I was supposed to go to the medical checkup, but I missed it because I was dealing with another baby with another family. And I had this, I had this innate pull to do what it was that I thought I was meant to do. And then to do this new life being a mom. And I was in turmoil, inner turmoil for quite some time. And I sat down with my sergeant and I I said, I don't, I can't give you everything that it is that I used to give. And I can't give my son everything it is that I want to give him. Something has to go. And at the time, Jeremy was doing really well. Uh, he was on the SWAT team. So he and I had a conversation. I was like, look, I am going to stop what I'm doing. You go and take this as far as you can. You do as much as you can. You do as good as you can. And I will take care of the house and the kids and the kid at the time. And so um, I left law enforcement and I became, quote unquote, just a mom. And I will remember the day to, I remember the day like it was yesterday when I told another mother that I was just a mom and she about backhanded me <laughs> because she was like, you are not just a mom. Yeah. You are not just a mom. Don't ever say that again. And so uh, I realized my misstep because one, I am very lucky to be a mom, but two, I am more than just that. And it, it was, it was, it was kind of that moment where it inspired me to start finding out what my new capital was, my new human capital was because I wasn't just a mom. What else was I? And so it's been a, it's been a educational experience ever since then, just trying to figure out who I am. Hey, if you don't mind, you know, here on, on the podcast, Jamie and I do the the marriage Monday edition a couple times a month. And so we really like to unpack relationship uh, with, with spouses of how do we talk about tough things? And I don't know, maybe this was a really easy conversation for you and Jeremy. Maybe you guys talked about it and was like, easy, yeah, let's do this. 
or maybe it wasn't. What, what did that look like and how did you guys approach that subject? It was more important that the conversation I had, I had with myself first, Yeah, uh, that it was something that I was resolved with. I knew in my heart that this is what had to be done. And yeah, it was a difficult conversation because there are a bunch of variables that come with it. We're going from a dual income family to a single income family and all of those other things, which those are things that you can figure out together, right? But that main decision, that was my decision to make. It wasn't his. We're married, we're in this partnership, but that was my decision. And he trusts me and I trust him. So there is that, there is that trust that I am making the best decision for our family. And so there's kind of some faith there that goes with it. And then we just kind of take it as we go. Yeah, I like it. But the communication is key, right? I like how you right. said you had to have it with yourself first. You had to sit there and really resolve this in your mind. And then you have to communicate with your partner. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. I joined the SWAT team without talking to Jamie. We're laying in bed one night and I'm like, hey, there's this opening <laughs> coming up. I'm thinking about putting it, putting in my name. And she's kind of quiet for a second. I'm like, hey, babe, don't say anything. I just want you to think about it. She goes, oh, I can do that. And then the next day I come home and I'm like, I my name. I signed up for this. And she goes, I thought we were going to talk about this. And I went, we did talk about it. We talked about it last night. She goes, you told me not to say anything. And I was like, dang it. I failed at communication there, right? Because, because having the dialogue back and forth and allowing our spouses to speak into these decisions we make is so powerful, I think. And, and just hearing uh, your reason, your why behind it, right? Because, I mean, that's what I heard you just describe, is you had a why behind this. This wasn't just some random thought. You felt this dichotomy of, of I'm out here taking care of other people's family by protecting kids, by investigating crimes against kids, but I'm feeling like I'm not taking care of mine in the way that I want to. And again, I think everything you do you don't just like, yeah, I'm going to do this a little bit. No, you, when you do things, Mary, you want to knock it out of the park. And so that's the way you approach life and family and just everything I've seen you do. It's one of my values. Yeah. Hey, I got to say this though, too, because going into this podcast, I'm sitting there just thinking about you and I worked together in detectives for a bit. And my favorite, probably one of my favorite times being in plain clothes was you and me along with the entire detective division working an extortion case and us being in the mall with you very pregnant and you and I were posing as the, the happy couple just shopping. We bought a pair of jeans that day. I wore that pair of jeans for like a decade from old Navy. They were great, but uh, it was a very fun memory uh, of working in detectives with you. And another thing is, you know, you talked about the quality of work that you produced. I can speak about this from, from experience, experiencing it. Uh, you were a, you are, but as a detective, you were a hard worker. I remember you coming upstairs and just taking on, you know, if you weren't doing something, you were checking in with other detectives, how can I help you with your investigations? And I think that's critical in, in any team. I think that, um, I have been placed here to make an impact, whether it is with my community with my family, with my team, with whoever I'm working with. Um, it, it's important for me to make things and leave things better than it was when I first got there. 
And so checking in with other people and saying, how can I help or what can I do? That's important to me. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's fast forward. Let's get into the magazine. Now your title is chief visionary officer. What does that mean? You know, there's so many different titles out there from chief operating officer, chief executive officer. What do you do for tailored living magazine as that chief visionary officer? I like the title visionary because it started as a vision and the vision continually morphs and I am, I am guiding it with gentle hands in the direction that I want it to go. And I am the CVO and I will always be the CVO of this independent publication. Um, As my team grows. So we have a new, uh, new editor, Brittany Archibald. Um, and we have uh, new team members. Um, as the visionary, I feel like it is m- the most important thing that I can do for not only the publication, but for my team is to uh, establish and enforce the vision that I have and to get buy-in from my team, make yeah. them understand what that vision is and do they truly live by it and buy into it. Um, and so that's why I call myself a CVO. And you are visionary in the midst of, well, and you didn't know this was coming on, but no. COVID comes up, right? And you're creating this, this co-work space, tailored co-work and, and then COVID happens and you have a, a storefront now. It's not just you doing a magazine out of your home. Now you have this business front what what was that like? It's probably one of the biggest life lessons that I've ever learned. Um, and uh, I will constantly and always refer back to the day that I signed the lease. Five-year lease and a personal guarantee. <laughs> uh, no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. And you are a fool if you think that you can guess it or control it. You are a fool. And... Um, what I knew when I signed the lease was that, uh, I'm in it to win it. I'm all in. This magazine is all in. We're, we're not giving up. We're going to fight. We're going to put our head down. We're going to grind. Um, and I, there were other women who had similar passions and ambitions, but they had no place to go to, you know, explore them and, and pursue them. And so tailored co-work throughout the life of the magazine, we've done a ton of interviews. Like every issue, we highlight a local nonprofit. Every issue, our readers choose a favorite female founder. So somebody in the Tri-Cities who is female, who is uh, uh, just doing their thing and making a great impact on the community. Um, we have had so many great interviews and met so many great women that the female focused co-working space, the women focused co-working space just kind of, it took life because there was nothing like that here in the Tri-Cities for, um, women. So I had this huge space. And I didn't need all of it for just the magazine. And I opened it up for other women to pursue their careers, passions, and 
that's where we went. So what does the co-working space offer for, for women that, that need, you know, that they they have a, they have a profession, they have a, a hobby, they have whatever, right. They, but they need something other than the dining room table that to be able to spread some stuff out and do their work. So what does it look like? It's clean. You don't have to worry about cleaning anything or picking anything up. Um, the, the, refrigerator and snacks are stocked so you can feed yourself if you need to. Um, it's pretty, it's a creative environment. There's color. It is quiet. I'm, I'm literally looking out at the co-working space because I'm in a booth right now to do this interview. Um, but I think the most important thing is you are surrounded by other women in parallel times of their life that, uh, maybe in completely different careers, but ha- they have similar ambitions. And so you're kind of surrounding yourself with a tribe of people. When you op- come in the door, this is where you get work done. This is where you come up with new ideas. Uh, and, and you kind of get inspired by the people around you that are doing great things. And even though somebody could be in a completely different career, maybe they're giving you ideas on branding or on marketing or on how you're going to reach a demographic that you've never even thought about before. The, the magic happens when like-minded people come together and um, it happens in the break room. It happens in one of the biggest, one of the biggest downfalls of COVID and working from home is you lose that opportunity to connect with somebody that's other than yourself in those random passing moments. You're walking down the hallway or you're sitting around the coffee the copy machine and you're cracking jokes. That's where the magic happens. And uh, if you don't have a place to do that, you kind of lose that. And um, the team here and the members here are, they become, they've become a part of my extended family. Yeah. How has that impacted you? You've mentioned this now a couple of times. You haven't said it directly, but connection, both the, the people you're spotlighting in tailored living magazine and then in tailored co-work how is this impacting you both for the magazine, but then just you as a woman, how is this impacting your life? That's a good question. Uh, It gives me purpose. It gives me the purpose that I lost when I was a police officer. Um, Connection is important to me, but it's not just community is important. Connection is important. But I think the word community is overused and misunderstood. I think by default, because you live in Tri-Cities, you are a part of the community. But what does that mean? Do you feel like you're actually a part of it? I live in Maine. I'm a part of the Maine community. But do you know anybody there? Do you know any businesses there? If you walk into a grocery store, do people know your name? It's like Cheers, where you go where everybody knows your name. That's community to me. And in the time, in this day and age of social media and profiles and talking to people online and not in real life, IRL, um, we've completely lost a concept, the concept of what community is. And so for me, connection, it's the connections that you make create your community. And so the magazine 
it's important to me that one, the magazine is inclusive. I don't want to alienate anybody. I want you to flip the page, be entertained, be engaged, be educated. Um, but I also want you to flip the page and see Angela Johnson, our favorite female founder and what she does. And if you want to go see her, this is where you can go check her out. This is her work. And then you see her in the grocery store and you're like, Hey, Angela. And Angela's like, do I know you? And you're like, yeah, I saw you in the magazine. And it, it sparks that, it sparks that connection, which then in turn builds your community. Right. So it's important for me to one, build my own community. Right. But two, I also want to help facilitate others so that if they're feeling alone or if they're feeling like they aren't a part of something bigger than themselves, I want them to pick up the publication and say, hey, I'm a part of this community. And I'm going to connect with X, Y, Z, and I'm going to make my community bigger. So it, that, that is one of my values. And I live by it. And so that we bring that into the magazine. Yeah. You know, one thing I've found is sometimes it's hard to connect though, right? Especially over the last couple of years, everything's been so polarizing. Like you have to pick, you have to be left. You have to be right. You have to identify with a religion. You have to like, people want you to say you're which side you're on so they can figure out whether you're friend or foe instead of, Hey, we can disagree. We don't have to completely because we're human beings, because we're moms, we're dads, we're husbands, we're wives, we're girlfriends, boyfriends, we're, we, we're, we're all these different roles. And can't we, can't we land on that with your husband still being in law enforcement? Have you found any of that where you're, you're connecting with people and, 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 you know, again, hopefully this is good, but then it's not good because of just polarizing this or that. I don't know. Has that been complicated at all? I Connection and community are different from clicks. Uh, you don't all have to drink the Kool-Aid to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You don't all have to think the same way. In fact, if you do, if you all think the same way, do the same thing, you're a click. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't really subscribe to that philosophy. I never have. And I think that um, uh, I have, I have, isolated myself or insulated myself in a way um, so that I don't have to deal with that, that, that kind of temperament or mentality. I don't think that that's a growth mindset. I don't think that that people who think you have to think this way or this way, um, I think that they are stagnant and maybe they, they're plateaued, reach their full potential, but they aren't continuing to grow. And that's, that's not, that's not what I subscribe to. So I wouldn't bring them in as family, but I, I still can listen to them and let them feel like they're being heard. I don't have to agree with them, but, you know, we can still have a friendly conversation and dialogue. Yeah. Hey, through all of this, uh, health is important. Uh, what do you do to keep perspective when it comes to just taking care of yourself and the way you and your family takes care of each other? What do you do so that you can, because some of these things that you're, that you're saying come from a healthy mindset, uh, I believe. And, and so we have to invest in ourselves and encourage our family to invest in themselves in order to be able to process things the way you're processing them, I think. So what do you do? What does your family do to, to keep that healthy mindset? 
Uh, okay, so I was watching a TEDx talk. I can't remember who it was. I love TEDx podcasts, by the way. Um, and there was a lady that discussed, she does not use the term crazy or chaos. She was an ER doctor. And um, the reason why she didn't use that was because she is not, she doesn't subscribe to that idea. Um, she believes in triage, triage and priorities. So for me and my family, in order to feel like I have control over things, I triage. Um, I have a very, very small circle. In fact, I call it a triangle. So I have myself and my health. I have my family and then I have my career, my businesses. And that is my triangle. Um, and then within that, I have a very, very, very small inner circle that I keep near and dear to my heart. Everything else is out outside. And when I decided that that was kind of the route that I was going to take moving forward, man, all that little stuff just started to disappear. All of those little things that just, you know, would get to me or that, um, I'd like to think that I'm perfect, but I have, I want to say I have high functioning anxiety and I worry and I worry about a lot of stuff. And so when I came to the conclusion that I'm just going to make my circle really, really small, and it's got to be within this, these boundaries for me to even care or have to be able to focus or ruminate on it, um, that helped me out a ton. I think it also helps my boys out too, because they see, okay, this is important. So mom's taking care of it. This isn't important. So it's a lower priority. We do this with their homework. We do this with their obligations. We do this. It's one of those things that I, I try to instill in them. Um, I also honor our private moments as a family. Um, those are sacred. I share a lot on social media. I do. Usually it's about myself. Sometimes it's about the family and the kids. Very rarely do I bring in my husband. Um, but I, 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 the really, really important stuff the sacred stuff, I keep very close to my heart. Um, just like in business too, the, the really important stuff, nobody needs to know about it until it happens. Keep your head down, focus on your objective, and your work will speak for itself. So in, that's in business life. Well, in family life, it's the same thing. Keep your head down, pour into your family and yourself, and then your relationship will speak for itself. So that's kind of, that's how I keep things healthy and moving around. And that's my perspective now, but who knows, maybe in a year it'll change and I'll, I'll be enlightened with something new, but that's where I'm at right now. Well, and so it does, right? Cause again, as we go through different seasons, there's different priorities. And right now with a family setting great relationship boundaries, that's what I heard you talking about, at least in the, the vocabulary that I use, mm -hmm. setting those mm -hmm. boundaries to where you're, you're open to all, you're willing to have a good conversation with anyone, regardless of their thoughts. But when it comes to the that that inner circle or that triangle of of area that you're gonna allow yourself to stress more over, I don't know, stress isn't the right word, but just to care about, right? The stuff that you have control over. Because the here's the thing: most of the stuff that people, nah, now sounds like I'm being judgy. 
most of the stuff that I sometimes want to get concerned over and have anxiety over is stuff I don't have control over. It's just stuff that's outside of my control. And so I got to take a deep breath and I got to refocus on what do I actually have control over? I have control over my attitude, right? I have control over what I do right now. Yeah. And there's only so much of me to go around. And like what we had talked about earlier, I give my all in things that I do because that's who I am. If my name is going on it, you better believe that I'm putting out the best that I can at the time that I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and so if there's only so much of me to go around and I have a huge circle, I'm jipping not only myself, but I'm jipping everybody around me that I make false promises to, or, you know, I have weak relationships with and, that doesn't go to, it doesn't speak to my values. So out the door it goes. Do you have stated values? You've said, you, you, we've come back to that a number of times. Do you have like a set of three, four, five, like core values that are, are at your core or is it, uh, is it something different? Yeah. I, I, empathy, um, empathy is very, that's a core belief. That's a core value. Um, passion. Mm -hmm. I'm passionate. Don't get me hot. (laughs) If I, if I, if I, if I get mad over something, my kids will know it. My husband will know it because I will speak my mind. Um, ambition and drive. I'm capable. I can do things. You know, when I was a kid, I was always looking to somebody else. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? And then there came a time when I needed to draw a line and say, no, I can do this. I was born with, I have everything that I need within me so I can do this. Um, And I'm loyal to a fault, which is why, again, I have that very small circle triangle. And then, uh, you know, I guess just being a life learner, um, somebody who has a growth mindset and is always open to failing and trying again, um, I'm not a fail. Like I'm not afraid of failure, and so those are values. And I think that, I mean, those are my values or what I consider values. Yeah, and I, think those are I live by those. Hey, failure—that's a tough one, especially if you've experienced success throughout life. It's easy to get into a mindset of of expecting perfection from yourself. Uh, Is that something that you had to learn? Is that something your parents instilled in you that it's okay to fail? What was that like for you? I was the youngest of eight growing up. And uh, I was the flake. (laughs) Um, I I have brothers and sisters that are academics, uh, all sorts of, you know, higher end careers. And I was the college dropout. (laughs) Um, and so growing up, I, uh, I, I failed a lot and uh, I didn't follow through a lot. And so that was Mary, you know, my parents kind of had this, like, she's going to do what she's going to do. Uh, my dad was very surprised when I actually graduated the police academy. I, I made it through and because he didn't 
necessarily think he had hoped that I would be able to make it through, but he didn't necessarily think that I would. And, um, you know, that was the reputation that I gave myself because, you know, that's who I was. That's how I lived. And, um, so it, it kind of is a two part. It's two, it goes two ways because I failed a lot as a kid. Um, I was never afraid of it. So now growing up, uh, and, you know, you know, leaving law enforcement and starting the magazine and the things, the decisions that I make, success and failure isn't even registering. I'm not even thinking about if I'm going to succeed or if I'm going to fail. Uh, am I capable? Can I do hard things? Can I do this? Yes, I can. Will I get it right the first time? Probably not. And that's okay. But I will keep going until I do it. If I set my mind to it, I'll keep going until I do it. So the the act of feeling as much as I do is the reason why I've seen the success that I have. But I also subscribe to the rule of three. A third of your life is going to suck. It doesn't, it's not necessarily in this order, but a third of your life and your time on earth is going to just suck. Things are going to go wrong. Nothing's going to go right. It's going to be hard. But then you need to remember another third of your life is going to be so-so. It's not bad. It's not good. You're kind of just moving your way through, right? But you keep going. That's the point. And then that last third, that is the third where everything that you went through, you see that light. You see that spark. You find success. You are great. You become successful. So, you know, in law enforcement, and when I first started as a police officer, I sucked. <laughs> and then I just I continued on. I didn't give up. I showed up every day, right? And then I became so-so, right? But then I, I kept going. I kept going. And then I became a great detective, right? And then I became a mom. And I sucked at first. And I still probably we am so <laughs> I still, you know, it's it's the same thing though. I it, yeah. it is what it is. It's the rule of three. But the point is, is that you have to check in every day. As soon as you check out, you lose the chance for that last third to show and prove how great you are. Mm. And the problem is that is that most people think it is what it is, and that's the way it's always going to be. But that is not the case. It is what it is right now. You just haven't seen the other side yet, but you have to show up. You have to check in to get there. And uh, it's the rule of three. So that's kind of what I preach when I, when I get a chance to talk to somebody and they're kind of stagnant and they're, they're in their head thinking, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be, blah, blah, blah. It's just not the case. And so I try to let them know that. That's a great mantra. It's a great mindset to get us through the storms that are inevitable in life, recognizing that this is temporary. The and seasons. That, yep. The greater things are going to come. Wow. You, Mary, you're motivating me in so many different ways. It, I, one thing I didn't even know that you were doing or that, that Taylor Living was doing was I saw that you guys recently launched a podcast. Yes. I love it. Did. What, what, what's your what's your goal of do you, do you guys have like a goal of how many you're going to release a month or a year let me tell you so i at first did not want to do it wendy spinelli is the magic behind it 
She is my graphic designer. Uh, she is ambitious. And she's like, we need to have a podcast. We need to have a podcast. We sit down and we meet every Monday. And we, we talk about like deliverables and things that we need to do. And she she got on me for quite some time to start a podcast. And I was like, well, that's what we have a blog for. You know, we have this publication and we've got so much content. We can't print everything. So you go to the blog and you can re- read behind the scenes and you can do all of this. And she's like, but that's not the same as talking to somebody. That's not the same as recording a live interview. And uh, she won me over and she just took off with it. And I'm so proud of her. And, and it's one of those things where it's, Again, I'm I'm visionary, right? I'm the CVO, and I'm trying to foster this team that is capable. And, and I mean, they're already all of these things, but now what I have to do is facilitate it and let them let them go and do their greatness. And boy, that's Wendy. She she went and did it, and I I'm so inspired by her. So wow. You would have to interview her or ask her what her goals are for the podcast. I do know that uh, we are um, in the process of, of shooting a few more interviews. She's in the process of shooting a few more interviews. Uh, we've had a couple of interviews. Uh, the Tiritus guys, uh, Amy with Mira Gaston uh, Winery. We have a lot of food and wine. Um, we're in wine country, Red Mountain, you know. Uh, so we have quite a few uh, lots of content on that, but then, you know, there's other stuff too. And it's all, it's, it's all derived from the magazine, from the publication and just another way. It's another platform for us to build that connection. Yeah. I was enjoying listening to it. I was in listening to the camera there, 23 or 25 year old winemakers as in 25 years old. Right. Uh, it was great listening to what got them started and, uh, just, I, I like the way you guys put together the editing of it. It sounded good. Um, I really enjoyed it. So it's so funny. I showed up to I showed up to the co working space the following day after they had that interview, and there was a carpet on the table of our GSDs. It's the Get S Done Suite that our members can reserve, and there was a carpet on the table. And I was like, Why is there a carpet on the table? It's because they put the microphone on top of the carpet so that the echo wouldn't be crazy. And, you know, it's again, it's that it's that learning curve where, you know, we've never done a podcast. Wendy had never done a podcast before, but she's not afraid to fail. And so our first few episodes are a little rough, but they're fantastic because it's like it shows the possibility of what it's going to be. It's just not there yet. And so follow along because it is going to be a fun ride. I have no, no doubt that you guys will make it great. Uh, yeah, the early part of podcasting, there's things that you don't realize the microphone's going to pick up. It just (laughs) sounds a little bit different until you finish putting all this work into a hour interview. And then you go back and listen and realize I didn't hit this one button or something like that. Well, hopefully this one turns out for you. I I really do hope so. I think so. We worked through that in the pre-interview and that was my fault in reference to turning on the right thing here on Restream. Hey, if folks want to learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to follow your work? Well, we're on Instagram. So Tailored Living Magazine, and it's T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-D, Tailored Living Magazine. 
Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, Mary Taylor. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Miss Taylor, but that's very small. We have a website, tailoredlivingmagazine.com. And our co-work space has its own website. It's called tailoredco.work. So T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-D, co, C-O, dot work. I love it. And for the listeners, go ahead and look down in the show notes. All of those links will be down there. Easy for you to click on. Mary, thank you so much. You know, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of this stuff. And you have given me a lot of yours, both when we were partners and detectives and now today on this interview. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it too. And it was good seeing you again. I missed that face. Good seeing you. All right. Bye. Bye. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I am blown away by this opportunity that I get to interview just remarkable people. Uh, These ones are special when I, when I reconnect with a friend that I just don't get to see often enough. And I just absolutely loved Mary's perspective on life, on leadership, on family, just on all of it. Just remarkable stuff. Check out her, check out her stuff down in the show notes. Hey folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. How are we doing here on the podcast? There's a couple different ways you can communicate back to us. First and foremost, you can rate and review us. If you're checking this out on Apple or on Spotify, on our main page, there's five stars waiting there for us. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating that will increase our viewability on those platforms. However, folks, they're your stars. And if we haven't earned five stars, instead, you should keep those stars. And maybe shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how to make a better, maybe future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the folks in our triangle or our tribe. Take care of each other. God bless.